Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over one million times worldwide and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. In today's episode, episode 272, we catch up with Andrew Groon and EVO, authors of the new books Day Trip Melbourne and Dog Trip Melbourne. We hope you enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. Previously, we've interviewed authors Andrew Groon and EVO on their Sydney-based books, Day Trip Sydney, 52 Nature Adventures, and Dog Trip Sydney, 52 Dog-Friendly Nature Adventures. These guidebooks provided simple and easy-to-understand guides to their respective walks in the Sydney region, all with some very great imagery. In today's episode, we catch back up with Andrew and Evie to talk about the release of their two new guidebooks, Day Trip Melbourne 52 Nature Adventures and Dog Trip Melbourne 52 Dog-Friendly Nature Adventures that now cater for Victoria's capital city. Evie, Andrew, thank you for taking the time to catch up with Australian Hiker on these two new books. Thanks for having us. Okay, now before we talk about your newly released books, give us a bit of a brief introduction to those listeners who may not have caught up with the previous episodes uh, about what you're trying to achieve with your guidebooks. Well, I guess... um like I think we we are we are normal people. We are common people. We love and we seek nature because we are a creation of urban environment. We we find it really hard to find something that's kind of like easy to do. You know, like can be done in a like you know where where you don't have to plan too much and you know it's a short walk. You know, two two hours long with a big reward, nat- natural reward at the end, whether it's a waterfall or a swim. We thought, like, where are all these places? Like, and it, it kind of started with us doing day trip Sydney two years ago during COVID because obviously we couldn't go anywhere. And we were recently dating there and we're like, okay, let's go on road trips. And we ended up finding so many precious places surrounding Sydney. And, you know, two, two years later, our curiosity kind of went, where is next? You know, where are other places in Australia that we can kind of in a way, um, explored. And we just decided to kind of like, let's do Melbourne. I mean, it, it is also like the publishers um, are thinking sales-wise, that's the second most populated city. And we're like, okay, well, how do we do Melbourne? And we decided, why don't we just spend three months exploring, when I said Melbourne, Victoria, but, you know, from Melbourne. And we found so many gems, very, very different to Sydney. And that's kind of how the this guidebook started. Now, tell me, I mean, you know, you, you guys uh, released Day Trip Sydney and Dog Trip Sydney recently or over the last couple of years. Where's your background? Are, are you are you Sydneyites or have you you've moved uh, or, or do you know Melbourne well? 
I grew up in Sydney. I had been to Melbourne a few times, but I definitely don't think at that time I was qualified to write a guidebook about it. I I grew up um, in Surabaya and I have more friends in Melbourne than Andrew. So that's something. (laughs) No, but um, I guess writing Sydney for us, even though we've lived, like Andrew grew up in Sydney and I've lived in Sydney for maybe about 15 years then. We, before writing the guidebooks, we were, you know, we didn't know these places exist. So that, you know, that kind of naivety and um, not really knowing what's surrounding you and the curiosity that we both have, kind of in a way makes us a a surprising writers. I'm not going to say, you know, positive words like good or seasoned, but we kind of discovered things that maybe are not that new to other people who are seasoned hikers, but we as kind of like, we like to call ourselves like the, the beginners. We find them really just fresh and just really unexpected even though yeah it's been there all along so i think i think also when you live somewhere you kind of take it for granted so um before we did day trip sydney i just i've i spent most of my adult life not living in sydney i was overseas and i came back and you know we were given this project of day trip sydney and i i lived there for so many years and we discovered so much cool stuff and and i think Often when you you travel somewhere, you do find amazing new things that that often locals might overlook. I hope that doesn't upset any Melbourneers, but you know, like we have a we have a fresh eye to look at things. I think I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, if whatever whatever town or city you live in, you tend to take it for granted. You you just live in it and without thinking too much about it. And I think from your perspective, as you say, even though, even though Eddie, you've got uh, friends in Melbourne, you know, you may not know it as well as Sydney. And I think you start looking for things that, as you say, other people may not consider just because it's their normal day to day. So I, I think you can, you can look at it from a beginner's perspective and think, what is it that I'm looking for? And what is it that other people would want to get out of this as well? Yeah, and we, we kind of um, wrote this book from the audience perspective as well. Like when I say audience, it's like us um, and, and people with family, people with little children as well. Like how we don't have children, but we've got a dog. We can talk about him later. But like we, we talk about places that, that are kind of like easy to access and, you know, it, it's kind of like a cheap adventure book in a way because everything can be done in a day. You know, there's no need to pack up your car with tents and hiking. Like to, to be honest, um, you know, I, I still find myself very, um, a not very confident camper, for example. So I'm writing this book for people like me. <laughs> yeah. When we did some research in the bookshops, like there aren't that many books that, that you know, that specializes on that ease of access in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, yeah, there are some very good guidebooks for Victoria, but, you know, they're, they're related to, I suppose, the well-known hiking areas. Uh, and yeah, you know, and it often requires you to get out of town. And as you say, either spend a night in a hotel or a motel, or spend a night in a tent to actually do the walks, or have a bit of a long drive. And, and while I'm sure there's some crossover there, you know, uh, with that, with this sort of book, you know, you are picking up stuff that's fairly close to the city, as well as a, a bit further away. Yeah, and we were actually really blown away about different the terrain varied within that. 130 kilometer 
kilometer radius, which was the the boundaries we set ourselves. Like, you know, you can drive a couple of hours out of the city and suddenly you're in a alpine snowy mountain and um for for sydney siders like us it was it was it was really really surprising and pleasant all right now let's get on to the book itself so the first up we're going to talk about day trip melbourne 52 nature adventures now the book title describes very well what this book is about so 52 walking adventures all as you said within 130 kilometers of the melbourne city center and each has been able to be done in a single day or a weekend, depending on how far you feel like driving in a single day. How did you go about choosing the walks that you did for this book? We go by the rewards first. Um, so, like we we really um, we really treat it almost like a holiday. Like Andrew, what do you want to see? I love waterfalls. I love um, I love I, I love rocks. So and and especially in Victoria, like you know, the, the terrain is volcanic, so there are a lot of them. And then, um, of course, we we thought about like which places have the best view. So we always start with the reward first, because you know we're simple like that. And um, we then and obviously we we would we would have gone we we went to more places than fifty two because sometimes you know you read about a reward and then you got there and it's like oh but this is very similar to A or like this is maybe not as grand as what, you know, what we expected. And um, obviously we also threw in some um, some popular places like Yuyang Regional Park, which, um, you know, which is so famous and it's full of people, but that is a reason why it is. And so, yeah, so we, we started with um, with what, you know, what natural spots are the prettiest or the most rewarding and then kind of go from there. Now, one thing I, I didn't actually think about is what's the shortest walk in this book and, and what's your longest walk that you've actually gone through and re- reviewed? Um, I think the, the shortest uh, would be uh, less less than a kilometre, which would be um, one of the waterfalls, which is, yeah, Erskine Falls. It, it's, it's a spectacular waterfall and it's more of a – we kind of consider that one more of a destination – so you, you drive out there, you know, you get out, you have a look around, and then maybe we imagine you could go to a different place in the area and do another walk. And I think the longest walk we had was Cape Bulamai. Or Myrtle Gully Circuit. Mm, but it was about t- 10 or 12 kilometres would be the longest walk. Okay. And that, and that's, that's a, that's a, you know, if you're a brand new walker, it might be a bit long, but for, for keen walkers, that's a, that's quite doable within a day. So that works well. Yes. Yeah. I think on average, they're all about like six, six kilometers, I'd say. Yeah. That, I, I know when I review walks that they have that five to six kilometer mark is, is probably the, the sweet spot that most people will look at quite comfortably. So I think it's a good distance. Now, you did mention before snow walks, and that was one of the things that did surprise me as I was flicking through the book. I came across some photos in the snow, and I must admit it's not something that people typically think about when they're thinking about hiking. What made you decide to include those walks? Well, I think uh, the the tilt of the planet <laughs> made us choose those walks. Um, we, we, we actually uh, did it – we did the – both the books in winter last year, so a lot of the destinations were 
were covered in snow. But for us, it was kind of a, a really exciting situation because uh, we love snow. And um, the, 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 the snowy walks in the book can be completed in summer as well. And I, I'm sure they're just as spectacular. In fact, we know they are. And I think I suppose it's one of those sort of things. I mean, you know, you're not, you know, it, unless you are getting up into the Alpine national parks, uh, it's not as if you're walking through two feet of snow with some of these things. But it's it's enough to make a difference. And again, it's 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 a bit of variety that, as you said, you're not likely to pick up around Sydney. You know, not without travelling no, a lot and, further. And it was it was, <laughs> it was such an adventure for us because um, we we needed to hire snowshoes and we'd never done that before and. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a pretty funny day. Just uh, a lot of new experiences. Okay. And that's kind of the spirit spirit of kind of like how we curate things as well. Like we want people to, you know, get comfortable doing something that's not part of their everyday. And you know, like how do you how do you curate fifty two of them? Okay, now your previous books have been written for the average person, which is not always the case with guidebooks. From what I understand, this is still the format with the new book, is it? Yeah. 100%. We're still average. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't evolved into the Uber hiker mensch (laughs) yet. We're we're still, although we are are getting getting better, but yeah, we're we're trying to appeal to a mass audience, as Evie was saying before, you know, people with varying abilities, people who just want to drive to a waterfall, jump out and have a look, people with prams, people with dogs. We try and include a few walks for for every type of person in the book. And obviously there's the longer ones too, the more adventurous, we say. No, that's good. Like your last books, the thing that really stood out to me was the use of what can be best described as hero images. The quality of the photos is still amazing and makes for a great hook to want to do these walks. Was choosing the image a hard process for you or you'd gotten your eye and, and you knew what you were looking for from doing the previous books? Um, yeah, it, it is hard. Well, it, it depends on the walk, to be honest. Um, some walks, there are just so many shots to choose from and then other other walks, not so much. But, but often we don't include shots that don't really tell the story of the walk, but but we might love them much more than the shots we've put in. But um, as we're doing the walk, I'm taking a lot of photos. So <laughs> I think it's be... more personal to you, isn't it, Andrew? Like, Because um, yeah. I wasn't taking the photos um, and I, I mean, doing book design is kind of my day-to-day. I can be quite ruthless and so, you know, in, in, in kind of editing down the photos, but obviously – because Andrew's um, involved, you know, I need to take um, much more care. <laughs> I suppose that's always, that, that's always the thing, isn't it? And, yeah, it's one thing, as you say, when it's your day job and, you know, you can say, no, sorry, this is not going to happen. But uh, it's Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get quite attached to the photos. Yeah. And it's so, you know, you start off with thousands and then suddenly you're down to a few and then you have to cut more out. It's a yeah. big job. As you said, I suppose you know if you're doing a walk that's based on a waterfall, you've you've really got to have that have that that shot of the waterfall because that's what it's about. But uh, sometimes when it's when it's more about the view or it's more about just walking through the forest, trying to identify an image that is going to really show what the what the walk is about can be a bit harder with the the less obvious sort of walks. 
Yeah, there, there was one walk where I'm sure I was annoying heavy to no end where I was, took about 20 minutes taking a photo of a kookaburra. Um, <laughs> and not in the book. <laughs> but it's in the archives, yeah. I must admit, I don't know what it is with me and birds. I cannot take a photo of a bird. Every time I get kookaburras laughing, I'll get out of the tent and they disappear. Um, I go back in the tent and they're back again. And it's just like, yeah, they just don't want to hang around to be photographed by me, at least anyway. They're taunting you. I think so. <laughs> okay. Now, I know it's likely to be hard to pick, but what are your three favourite walks out of the 52 listed in this book? The first one, um, probably, okay, this is a cheap answer, but maybe um, the Oregon Pipes National Park. Yep. Or the, um, oh, my God, I forgot the name of that movie, Andrew. Hanging Rock. Rock. Or Hanging Rock in the north. Yeah, because, like, there is something about the rock formations in Victoria that I feel like are so unique. And I don't know, there is something about being you know but feeling small within that um formations and i guess with hanging rock um it is so scenic and you go up the top and you can you, you can see the view from surrounding it's kind of crazy and um with organ pipes national park like if you're a rock nerd like you will see like different again rock formations caused by volcanic and i just i i found that really um i don't know fascinating like i could just spend a whole day there um, the second one that I love is Jeps Pool and Cumberland Falls um, near Great Oatway National Park. That's because um, that wall can only be done if the current is low enough. And we tried to do that walk like three times and third time lucky. We got there almost um, kind of like later in the day. We we walked and we walked and we crossed rivers a couple times and it's just so beautiful and so quiet because I don't think many people walk that route. Uh, you can swim and at the end there's a waterfall as well. Like it's really adventurous and for me like I felt like I, you know, I don't know, I felt like I was leveling up doing that walk and it's just like being, being encapsulated again in like very um, kind of like virgin terrain. And the last one is maybe Weatherby Gorge. I know that one is very um, popular, but again, like um, it's such a, it's such a, it, it's quite, it's a long walk ish. It's seven and a half K loop, but you see so many different terrains within one walk. And, you know, you jump across um, rocks, um, you scale some rocks um, and, you know, like the, the land really change, um, you know, between hours and I don't know, it's one of those walk when you feel really magical, you come out of it and you were like, oh, I just did that and I felt really good. Yeah, and yeah. I think as you said, you know, with Werribee Gorges, it's a name, I don't know Victoria that well. It's it's a place I've still got to get down and do some walking, if any decent sort of mount down there. But I have heard Werribee Gorge and I think, you know, walks are popular for a reason. Uh, you know, it's either because they're close and you don't have to walk very far or they're, they're so good that everyone wants to do them. And from what I understand of Werribee, it's, it might be popular, but it's popular for a reason. Now, that's Day Trip Melbourne 52 Nature Adventures. The other book that you've released uh, uh, after the, that first book is Dog Trip Melbourne. Uh, and this is walks that you can take your four-legged friend on. Now, 
I'm not overly familiar with Victoria, but is Victoria the same as many other states where you can't take dogs into national parks? Or, or why, yeah. are there some parks where you can take them in? Yeah, that's correct. You, you cannot take uh, pets into national parks, but you can take them into, what are they called? They're not called state forests down there, are they? Um, called, um, regional parks. Re- regional regional parks. parks, yeah. Okay. seems that um, Victorians are much more stringent or obedient when it comes to having dogs on their leash as well so we found that um yeah having having dog on the leash was was quite important as well i suppose that's the thing as well i mean i i must admit i i don't i i don't have an issue with dogs but you know when you get a big dog that looks a bit scary uh even though it might be the calmest thing in the world it's you know you don't know that until you know if it's not your dog so having it on the leash for people that are a bit worried about dogs is not a bad thing and i i've seen people with dogs in places they shouldn't be and you, know, you think well this, this dog is going to get taken out by a kangaroo if it keeps on going so uh, i think it's it's a good good thing for both the animal and for the people as well so uh, well i mean that that's kind of one of the main reasons why we we chose to write the dog book is so people can know where they can take their dog where it's going to be safe and it's legal and and all that and high quality as well now, yeah, making sure the dog's having a good time. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, what was your dog's name again? I can't remember from the last time I talked to you. Uh, his Henry. name is Henry. Henry, okay. Uh, now, how old's Henry again? He's turning six. Okay, so he's he's not he's not he's not a puppy, but he's not really old. So he still still likes getting out and about and doing the walks. He's having a midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now. Again, um, you've you've chosen a batch of walks in relation to dogs. What's different about apart from the legality of uh, of where you can take your dogs? What what do you look for when you're choosing walks for dogs? Um, first of all, it, it I mean when we say with the the people books, like it, it has to be for you know a whole range of of abilities with people. We also um, have to think about dogs as well because um especially our dog you know if if the walk starts going above like eight seven or eight k's he 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 doesn't seem to um enjoy himself as much so we in general we tried to keep them a bit a bit shorter than the um the book for people yeah i think unless you've got a, a really active one of the active sort of sports breeds that just keep on going and going. Most dogs probably would prefer the shorter walks, I can imagine. Yeah, and and dogs come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Yeah, at least, more so than people. <laughs> at, at least with Henry, he's small enough. If he gives up, you can pick him up and carry him. So uh, I've always been a, I've always been a great Dane owner, and yeah, you know, I don't particularly want to carry them if I can help it. <laughs> no, it should, should be the other way around. <laughs> So again, you're looking at walks that uh, that suit the you know, the short, slightly shorter walks to suit the dogs and, and suit most dogs. Uh, as you said, you've got to take them to areas where you know you, you wouldn't be able to do a lot of the walks you chose for uh, for your day trip Melbourne book uh, because if they're in national parks, that rules them out. So did you find you were travelling to different areas, or you just had to do a bit more research to work out where the uh, uh, regional parks. Uh, regional parks. So, are they they in similar areas, or you just had to had to uh, go in a slightly different direction to find those? 
Well, well I think, um, I think oh, you yeah. just raised the point which I didn't uh, raise before when you asked me is also uh, we try to make the, the dog walks a bit more urban. Um, so that's kind of out of necessity because obviously the national parks are a lot bigger, they're further out. We often think that if people want to go on a bush walk, I mean a dog walk, they might want to do it after work or like on the weekend. Like it doesn't have to be such a big day of it. So we, we try and make make it a bit more local. Having said that, we, we have found some gems like, um, I mean, uh, walk number 14 on Doctrick Melbourne is called, is called Mount Disappointment, but it's actually not a disappointment. Um, it's actually a really nice walk, like, um, up this kind of mountain, I guess. And like, there's a really, and, and I guess like for the humans, there are hist- historical, um, snippets that we kind of, um, wrote about. Like, um, it was called Mount Disappointment because, um, there were a few explorers that got to the point and couldn't see anything. Um, and then we also found an arboretum um, called RJ Hammer, Hammer um, in Olinda and Lalapur. The, the cover shot, actually. That's, yeah, that's, and yeah. yeah, true. It is the cover shot. So, like having said that, like we we found some really nice gems that are just as virgin as the human version, I guess. Yeah. Now, again, same more sort of questions we talked about with day trip. Uh, what were the two favourite hikes? Uh, in this book, uh, from your perspective and from your dog Henry's perspective, do you think? <laughs> um, I think from my perspective, it would be uh, Sanatorium Lake in uh, Mount Macedon. Uh, the day we did it, it was it was beautifully um, damp and misty. And when we got to the lake, the, the fog was rolling over and everything was reflecting on the still lake. And it was it was very scenic and fantastic for the photography side in me. Um, and then I think Henry's favorite walk, I mean, I'm pretty sure is uh, called RJ Hammer Arbitorium. And is that, where's that, Epi? That's on the east, in the east. Um, yeah, that's in the east, but that's quite uh, like a, kind of a, a very curated area with lots of different trees and plants, but it's not really manicured. It, it's very wild and there's lots of different types of vegetation and there's, there's amazing rolling views over the valleys and it's a good time. Okay, that's good. That's good. All right, so now one final question. You've gone day trip and dog trip Sydney. You've now done day trip and dog trip Melbourne. Uh, are you taking a break or are you moving on to another city at some point? Um, well, we, I guess we've, <laughs> feels like we're taking a break, but we haven't at all. Um, but no, we are not taking a break. We are, we are heading down to Tasmania um, early next year and we'll be staying there for about six weeks doing um Day trip Tasmania, which I am, I think, the most excited about out of all of the books that we've done. It's kind of like the holy grail for me of, of this series. 
I think it's interesting actually you say that. So uh, um, you know, you said uh, Melbourne took you about three months. Uh, Tasmania is going to take you about six weeks. Uh, are you getting the system down pat where you you've got everything geared and and you're in there and it's walk, walk, walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we pretty much um, needed three months because um, we we were still working when we were um, doing the the Melbourne series, and um, we kind of figured out if we do it full time, we could do a book in five weeks. I mean, that's very ambitious, but um, and that's what we're doing in Tasmania. We're we're only um, doing day trip Tasmania um, for now. That is. Um, the publishers think there are not enough dogs in Tasmania to warrant a title <laughs> yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, like um, I personally am really excited, like five weeks in nature every day and just, you know, getting the steps up. That's, that's going to be good, right? Like surely. <laughs> yeah, the, the Melbourne books, we did, uh, I think, 100 bush walks in 100 days. And um, by the time we finished, we were... So fit, we quickly, well, personally, I quickly um, became unfit. Yeah, but I'm yeah. looking forward to being fit again, yeah. Yeah, I think when you're doing sort of one to two to three walks a day, depending on the length of the walks, it's sort of a, yeah, you, you, you do get fit very quickly. Yeah, sure. Okay, so we've been talking with authors Evio and Andrew Groon about the Day Trip Melbourne 52 Nature Adventure book and Dog Trip Melbourne. Andrew, Evie, thank you for taking your time to chat with us. Thank you so much, much, Tim. Thanks for having us again. It was great to catch up with Andrew and Evie about the release of their two new guidebooks, Day Trip Melbourne, 52 Nature Adventures, and Dog Trip Melbourne, 52 Dog-Friendly Nature Adventures. 104 walks is pretty good, and I think it's a long overdue as well. So this was a, from my perspective, these guidebooks tend to be very unique. Uh, there, there seems to be a pattern in how the standard hiking and bushwalking guidebooks look and feel, and these books are written by people who don't claim to be expert hikers, which is not a bad thing because you know, this is the average person going on a bushwalk or the average person taking their dog for a walk uh, rather than someone who's really experienced and tends not to think about all the little details and the fine details that, that new walkers may not necessarily consider. And the other thing is the walks are quite short. So they're not technical walks. Um, and it is also about the experience and what you see and the reward that you get. So that's kind of a nice thing to focus on that and get back to basics. Yeah, and listening to Andrew talk about the photography, he's obviously the photographer <laughs> uh, and it, and Evie is actually the uh, the one that works in the book industry and, and can be quite ruthless in cutting the photos down. So uh, I must admit it's, you know, from, from my perspective, if I go on to a week-long hike, I expect to take about 800 photos and I'm, it sounds like Andrew's about the same. So it's it's always good to have someone who can look at the images for what they are is what are the what are the key images that really provide a feel and a look for that particular walk rather than just here's a, a series of images that could be just about anywhere. One of the things that, that was obvious to me from the last two Sydney books 
is there's more inclusion of drone footage. And there's a couple where the hero image for the walk is actually a drone image. Uh, and, and they're often a bit artistic as well. So there's there's one in particular I'm thinking of where it's uh, taking a photo from a drone of a large long bridge, uh, and it's it's a it's a really good looking image. And I think that's the thing when you do these walks, if you just flick through without even reading it, you can think, okay, that's a really amazing looking photo. I wouldn't mind going along and seeing what that's like myself. And I think that's the thing with guidebooks. There's two ways you can go with guidebooks. You can either go full on detail or you can do enough detail to get there and do the walk and encourage people and enthuse people without scaring them off. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing I think I like about these books is that those images do entice you. They do draw you in and it's nice to be able to recognize something when you're on a walk and you go, oh, I saw that in the guidebook and how special am I? <laughs> Along with everybody else who's <laughs> doing this walk. <laughs> Going specifically onto the dog trip Melbourne, and, and again, I hadn't really thought about this. Their their dog Henry, I think by the look of it is a whippet, uh, very small, skinny looking little dog, but it looks like it's got loads of character. It really does. And from talking to Andrew and Evie last time, they said Henry likes having his photo taken, um, and he just seems to. <laughs> Don't st- we all know? <laughs> <laughs> he just seems to stop in just the right spot uh, and stay there long enough for Andrew to get some really good images. And there are some good images, not just of him, but also of other dogs as well. Yeah, to be not much of a dog guidebook or a um, a trail book for dogs, uh, if your dog never stopped at the right spots or didn't stop at all. <laughs> The cover image for the Dog Trip Melbourne book has got a photo of Henry on the front cover. And it's interesting, you look through the rest of the uh, the photos, and these walks were all done in wintertime. Uh, and in most of the other images, Henry's got a, a coat on. A little coat. A little coat, yeah, yeah. Uh, except for this one. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing he's probably sitting there or standing there thinking, give me my coat back, I'm freezing. Hurry up, <laughs> hurry up, it's getting cold here. <laughs> And they did say that they did do these, uh, this book or the walks and the images for this latest series of books during winter. Yeah, including some with snow, which is, again, this is not what you would typically get in a hiking guidebook, is photos of people walking in the snow. It's just something you just don't tend to see. I think the thing with the dog book in particular as well, I mean, certainly that's not a space that I'm in at the moment. I don't have a dog and haven't had for a number of years now. But I think, you know, you can be forgiven for thinking, well, if I'm going to get both books, uh, I might just do some of the other walks, even though they're designed as dog-friendly walks. Just because they are dog-friendly doesn't mean you can't walk them. Uh, And I think, you know, from what uh, uh, Andrew was saying, that uh, Henry likes walks around about that six, seven-ish sort of kilometre length. Which sounds like a lot of people, really, not just dogs. <laughs> yeah, and that, that is true. We find that the walks we review, that five, six kilometre seems to be the sweet spot that people really get enthusiastic about and go through and review um, or go through and do, and do a walk on because you know, it's something that's comfortable that most people can manage. If you're a keen hiker, long distances tend not to be a problem, but sometimes you don't have the time. You just want to be able to say, okay, uh, a, a six or seven kilometre walk. If I allow three to four hours, I can do that comfortably, have a lunch break uh, and get back to whatever else else it is that you want to go through and do. 
And from a dog's perspective, uh, again, not all dogs will cope with long walks. Some dogs, you know, some of the working breeds, the Kelpies and things like that, will just keep on going and going all day. Uh, other dogs, you know, they'll just sit down and say, no, nope, that's it, I've had enough. Well, you were talking about our Great Danes and they definitely would just sit down and say, this is it. <laughs> yeah, Great great Danes aren't, aren't endurance animals. Uh, <laughs> so you, you do not take them on long walks, otherwise you will end up carrying a 45 to 50 kilo dog back home again. So at least with the smaller dogs, you can actually get away with that. One of the things I like about this series in general is they I'm, I'm kind of not, I don't mean this in an insulting way. They're formulaic. They look the same. They feel the same. The Sydney books were a green colouring. Uh, the Melbourne books are an orange colouring. But they're the same size. They're the same sort of length. The formatting is the same. So if you're used to the Sydney book already and pick up the Melbourne book, you're going to know exactly what it is and how it works. I think they're recognisable and they're familiar, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think it's it's the sort of thing that they talked about at the end of the uh, the podcast that they're looking at doing Tasmania uh, in the early in the new year, <laughs> but but not dog trip Tasmania because uh, apparently there aren't that many dogs. I don't know what that uh, where their publishers are coming from from there, but uh, anyway. Well, I think obviously they must must think that there's a there's a limitation to people who buy dog guidebooks. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see. You know, who knows if the uh, the sales of the hiking uh, or walking book go go just as well as Sydney or Melbourne do? Who knows? They might come back and do a dog friendly version of that. Yeah, maybe we could start a petition or something. <laughs> So, yeah, it's good to see that they're continuing on with this series. And I think, you know, I'd say obviously they'll probably move on from there uh, over the next few years uh, as the popularity continues with these books. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed this interview with Andrew and Evie. If you want to see more information on each of these two guidebooks, Day Trip Melbourne and Dog Trip Melbourne, go to the show notes for this podcast episode on the Australian Hiker website and there'll be links to the full reviews to show you some of the images and what's included in the books. They really are well worth it, and I think if you're uh, anywhere from the average person to the super keen hiker, you'll get value out of them, and particularly if you're a dog walker uh, on your hikes, uh, this is a good opportunity to find some walks you may not know have existed. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed. Bye for now. And bye from me.